And I want to introduce Cheryl Leonard uh, as an amazing uh, instrument builder. She built these things you can see right here. And uh, she's... Very, they're simple instruments, though. Yeah, so I'm just going <laughs> to let Cheryl take over. Cheryl uh, recently went to... It was a year ago? It was about a year ago, yeah. You were in Antarctica recording sounds and... I'll tell you all about all right. it. All right. <laughs> Let's jump in. Thanks, have, everybody. And we have pictures, too. It's very exciting. Um, so last winter, I went to Antarctica on a grant from the National Science Foundation um, Antarctic Artisan Writers Program. And my project was to go there and make music using natural sounds from Antarctica. Uh, so using field recordings and also using um, objects such as these actually from Antarctica and building instruments with them and making sounds with them. Um, and the end goal is to have a set of compositions that I can play live on stage on these instruments, also incorporating some of the field recordings. Um, so, uh, basically I spent the whole month of January 2009 at Palmer Station, which as you can see, I don't have a pointer, I'm not as cool as I'm sure some of you guys are, but uh, it's on the Antarctic Peninsula and it's actually pretty far north in terms of Antarctica. <laughs> uh, and it's technically not within the Antarctic Circle, although it's quite close. To be honest about that. Uh, the plus side of that was it was actually pretty warm. It was uh, January in Antarctica is the middle of their summer. So temperatures were right around 30 degrees. So it wasn't that bad for recording, <laughs> except for the wind. But anyway, um, how do you get to Palmer Station? It is not the same way that everyone gets to um, McMurdo, which is down here somewhere. Uh, to go to McMurdo, you fly on a plane. To go to Palmer Station, you get on a research icebreaker ship in uh, South America and sail for four days across the Drake Passage. Um, so this is the Lawrence M. Gould, which was our ship going down to Antarctica. Holds about a, about 100 people. Usually half of those will be researchers and half of them will be crew. That's just another picture from the ship. Um, so there we are at sea. It's a very calm day. It's kind of nice. Um, going across the Drake, of course, uh, the big worry is high seas. Um, we actually had a pretty calm crossing. But my favorite thing to do was to hang out in the back of the boat and watch all the birds go back and forth across the lake. And also, it helped me not get seasickness. <laughs> and there wasn't a lot to record on the boat because the ship's engines were so noisy in terms of natural sound. Um, if you wanted to do mechanical sounds, there'd be a lot of material. So I, I mostly hung out on the back of the boat. Um, so wandering albatross, I think. And then as we got closer to land after several days, uh, we started seeing more and more birds. And so these are Cape petrels, and they would just swirl all the way around the ship in big circles. And here's our first sighting of land. It was very exciting after like four days at sea. Um, this is Smith Island, and it's just these huge icy cliffs. Um, 
so that's our, our way uh, path coming in. Smith Island was way up there in the South Shetland Islands. And now we're going to come down and loop around Anvers Island, which is a very big island that Palmer Station is located on. And that was, this is my very first Antarctic iceberg. <laughs> and there's me, I'm very happy being in Antarctica. I'm having a little trouble focusing my eyes because I have the patch on for seasickness. <laughs> um, there's a close-up of just uh, where we're going to be for the rest of this little presentation here. Um, Palmer Station's right here. There's a nice harbor next to us. Um, Anvers Island is very, very big. Um, and dominating the landscape is Mount William. You'll see it in a lot of the photographs. And what we did um, at Palmer's, we would go out in little zodiacs and explore just the local area. So it's just a very small part of Antarctica. But since I was there for a month, I had the opportunity to explore it in a lot of detail, which was really nice. So that's Mount William. It's very scenic. It's my dad's name also. It's beautiful. I have about you know 200 pictures of Mount William. <laughs> What's the altitude? Uh, of that peak, I think it... Five, I think it said 5,000 something. Yeah, it's not that tall, but coming out of sea level, it's yeah. kind of tall. That's the station. It's Palmer Station. Um, if you notice on the map, Anvers Island is almost completely covered in ice, except for some of the mountains, parts of the mountains, and these little tiny uh, pieces of exposed rock at the periphery of the island. And Palmer Station is built on one of these, and it's just a handful of buildings... Um, and this giant sheet of ice called the Mar Ice Piedmont. So you feel very small. <laughs> um, that was when we were arriving, just the boathouse in the front, and then the biology building, which has the, uh, the kitchen and the mess hall and the labs on the bottom floor. And on the top floor um, were the uh, rooms where people stayed, half of us did. Um, you can hike up the glacier behind the station. There's an area that's marked off as safe. <laughs> within there's black flags Stay along in that area. the edge. If you go if you go outside that area, you're in danger of falling in a crevasse. So you can't do that without being roped up and using like climbing prone call. Um, all these little islands are islands that we could go and visit in the zodiacs, and they're just little tiny rocky islands, but. Um, they were marvelously varied, even though they were all within a two-mile radius of the station. They each had their own individual character. That's just looking into the harbor, where um, the mar is calving almost constantly in the summertime into that harbor. Just giving you the introduction. We're going to get to some sounds. Um, that's me and Una, who was the other artist who was there at the same time as me. And she's a visual artist, and that's the station manager hanging out on top of the glacier. And then we have, um, this is the backyard, Palmer Station backyard. <laughs> uh, it's just exposed rubble from where the glacier has been retreating over the last at least 100 years or so. And it's retreating rather quickly. Um, so if you want to go on a hike in the backyard, you, you have to be pretty careful of your footing. There's no actual path 
It's all just scrambling over glacial moraine. And that's what it looks like um, if you stay in the station. Um, you get these military bunk beds. Uh, Una's made her bed, and I've just left everything in the <laughs> jumble on the top because we were uh, so excited to go do things every day. Looking out the window towards the station and looking out the other direction out of my bedroom window on a clear, a rare clear day. Um, the big peaks are on the mainland of the peninsula, which is actually not that far away. But when you're on the little zodiac and you're only allowed to go two miles from the station, it seems really far. <laughs> and there's another view at sunset. All right, so the ghoul dropped us off and <coughs> went off uh, for a month to do research sailing around the peninsula. Um, when the ghoul leaves the station, there's a tradition of jumping off the pier to say goodbye. <laughs> and here's some friend oh, jumping dear. off into the... <coughs> and the water is how warm exactly? The water is around freezing, and it can technically get below freezing because it's salty and below 32 degrees. Um, so there's Paul doing a flip into the ocean. Oh my god. That would be the last picture right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, so Paul turned 30 while I was there, and to celebrate his 30th birthday, he did, a, it's called a plunge. He, he decided he would plunge every day for 30 days leading up to his birthday, and he did it. Uh, so what one does at Palmer Station primarily, if you're lucky, is you go out in boats and you explore because there's not a lot you can get to on foot unless you have a climbing team assigned to you uh, to travel over land. So the first thing that we did when we got there, Una and I, is we were trained in boating safety. Um, now I've been a little bit of kayaking before and I've driven my dad's like fishing boat, but I, um, I've never really driven a Zodiac and I've definitely never done it in ice in Antarctica. So. Um, our first day, we got to go out um, for boating safety, and you have to put on a full immersion suit because what we were going to do is jump into the ocean and practice rescuing each other out, like get, pulling each other out of the water and dragging them back into the boat. And also, we learned how to drive the boat, what to do if the engine dies, um, how to tie it up, how to navigate through ice, all of these things. This was our boat. Number 66, the art boat. <laughs> <laughs> and we were so lucky um, that we were assigned our very own boat for our entire stay, Una and I. So wow. it truly was the art boat, and we could use it within station limitations uh, whenever we wanted, whenever it was safe to go out. And sometimes, this is the parking lot, <laughs> uh, sometimes it'd be difficult to get in and out because brash ice can come in. And we, we drove through ice every day. Um, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> you have to go very, very slow. Um, but one of the nice things about having a boat was that we were able to, I was able to do recordings from a boat with hydrophones and also open air mics. Mm. And I'll play some of those in a few minutes. Um, there's me, I'm really excited about driving. Okay, so here's the area we were allowed to explore. Um, this is a two-mile radius from the station in the center. 
And there's a lot of limit limitations on what islands you can land on and what islands you can't during specific seasons because uh, in the summer all of the wildlife is frantically trying to reproduce in the like month and a half of warmth. <laughs> um, so you're not allowed to land on, when I was there, any of these uh, yellow areas unless you have a special permit. And then it kind of looks like there's not that many places to go, but really, really there were. So the first place, let's see, that I'm going to talk about is Torgerson Island, right there. And Torgerson Island is, is split in half. You'll notice um, half of it you're not allowed to go on, and half of it you are allowed to go on. Um, the island has a lot of Adelie penguin colonies on it, and there's actually uh, research going on to see the effects of uh, human visitation there. So they want people to visit one side and not the other, so they can see if there's a difference. So um, here's Torgerson Island, and maybe we'll play some painting sounds here. So I'm going to play some sounds for you of the Adelie penguins when they're hanging out at the beach. Not at their nesting site, but when they're, they're going to the beach, they want to go in the water and they want to go get some food. But they're kind of squeamish, so what they do is they'll walk down and they'll hang out at the edge. And they'll look at the water and they'll think, oh, I'm really hungry. <laughs> I want to go in there. I want to get some krill. <laughs> but there's leopard seals out there. And so they'll stand around and they look at each other like, I'm not going in first, you go in first. <laughs> oh, you go in first. And then finally one will go in and then like the other guys will all jump in with them. Um, and the sounds they make when they're hanging out at the beach are really different than the sounds at the nests. It's just called uh, gackering, I believe is the, the scientific term. Um, it sounds like honking. But anyway, so you'll hear the little penguins walking down to the beach and then like honking at each other like, hey, you going first. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
that's penguins down at the beach. <laughs> but mostly what you would hear of the penguins was uh, the sounds they'd make when they were at their nests, when they're calling to their mate. Um, so let's hear that. So this is a recording of uh, a very small penguin colony um, the, the Delhi penguins in, in the Palmer area have been decreasing um, in numbers pretty rapidly over the last like 30 years or so, and they're actually expected to be extinct in that area within the next 10 years, or maybe less. Um, I can talk more about that later if you want. But anyway, so there used to be a lot more penguins on this island and every year the researchers are finding that the colonies are getting smaller and smaller and when they get smaller it's easier for them to get um, eaten by skuas uh, it's harder for the chicks to survive a, a skua is kind of related to um, a gull um, it's a predator bird down in Antarctica Anyway, so this is a very small colony. Normally, you would hear a lot more birds, but this is just maybe like a few pairs <coughs> holding out in this tiny little colony. But on the plus side, you can get very detailed recordings of just a couple of birds. <laughs> imagine hearing thousands of those all going at once. It's really, really chaotic. <laughs> uh, so, back to a few more pictures here. So here's a, a shot of um, the colony. A lot of the birds are off eating right now, so it's not quite as decimated as it looks at this point. But um, that's the side of the <coughs> island that the people are not are not allowed to go to. There's actually more birds over there. <laughs> and there's a close-up of him. He was trying to nap, and I kept taking this picture. Like, Are you going to go away anytime soon? <laughs> um, there are two other kinds of penguins that are often seen in this area. One is the gentoo penguin which uh, has a characteristic uh, orange beak. And the other is the chin-strap penguin. <laughs> He's <laughs> sleeping <laughs> um, with the chin-strap. Uh, these penguins usually live uh, farther north in the sub-Antarctic islands and the northern, more, more northern parts of Antarctica. And as the, it's getting warmer on the western Antarctic peninsula, 
these kinds of penguins are moving into areas that the Adelie penguins used to live in. So um, Palmer will not be without penguins. It'll just be different kinds of penguins that will be there. And the Adelies will not be extinct. They'll just live farther south. Um, so here's a couple of fat guys walking around on the island. <laughs> uh, they have little trails. If you see them on an island with snow, they have trails in the snow. And they'll follow these paths because it's much easier for them. And on the land, on this island, where the penguins have lived for hundreds of years, the paths, you can see where the paths are in the rocks. It's kind of, those rocks are more worn down. You can sort of see across the center, it's a little bit pathy. <laughs> Guy. Um, so in the foreground, you see this is like a really small group of, of penguins here with their, with their chicks. Uh, I forget what the crucial sizes of families, but I think this is this is too small. So this colony will um, it won't be there eventually. And birds come back to the colony that they were born at. So they'll keep trying to come back here until there's nobody left. Usually, I think once in a while they move, but in general they come back. Sorry, maybe you mentioned this. Are the exact forces that they're put under pressure? Is that is it? really clear or? Um, it seems to be pretty clear at this point um, basically that temperatures have been warming in this mm. part of Antarctica not not all of Antarctica but this region and what happens when we have warmer weather is that um, two things happen warmer air can carry more moisture so there are, there's more snowfall um, in the summer season and that makes it really difficult for the birds to nest because these penguins need to nest with rocks. So they need to find an exposed area of rock. And they use these little stones, which we have some of. <coughs> I have a permit for this. <laughs> it's legal. Um, and they build their nests out of these little stones. And if they can't find stones, it's really what are they going to do? Also, the chicks can get um, buried in snow and suffocated. Um, the snow can melt and then they can drown. Um, so, so one factor is increased precipitation, which really, really messes up the nesting. Uh, the other factor is there's not as much sea ice, and uh, krill needs the sea ice to, to breed. Krill is little shrimp-like creatures that the penguins in this area prefer to eat. So. When there's less sea ice, because it's warmer, there's less krill, and then there's less food for the penguins as well. So those are the two main, as far as my understanding, and I've done a bunch of reading on this, those are the two main factors going on for these guys. Um, so yeah, it's snowing this day too. These guys. Just a few more penguin photos, because they're so fun. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, my little microphone. Um, you know, dead cat set up close to the penguins. And I have to tell you, you can get much closer than that. Uh, you are technically not supposed to go closer to the wild, or close enough to the wildlife that it notices you. But if you, if you move in slowly and stay low to the ground and don't act aggressive, you can get pretty close and, and it doesn't really seem to disrupt them. Also, these penguins are kind of used to visitors because they get people coming there a lot. 
This is an adolescent chick. He's pretty close to fledging, which means he's almost ready to leave home and go out on his own. And he's, he's shedding his downy chick coat. And he's got this punk rock hairdo. <laughs> and so after that, it was hilarious. He went to that. He was like, who me? I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> um, now, in the same nest, here's a little runty guy that's not going to make it. Maybe it was the second chick, or maybe its parents died. But um, he's way smaller than, than this guy. He's also shedding his fur, but he's just not got enough mass to survive. So what's probably going to happen to him is he's probably going to get eaten by a skua. Um, and he's going to become like these bones, these penguin bones that you find um, all over this island. also want to mention that um, people think of Antarctica as really barren, and parts of it are. But um, the peninsula in the summer were actually some really vivid colors there. Um, there are two flowering plants that grow in the Antarctic Peninsula. One of them is the grass, and another one is a pearl wart. But I was just shocked to see, like, you'd see vivid green, and then you'd see this bright uh, orange lichen and yellow lichen. Um, it wasn't a dead wasteland at all. But back to the skuas. So here's a skua. Um, there's two kinds of skuas that live in this area. There's a brown skua and a south polar skua. And I get confused which one is which. One of them is more successful in staking out the territories right around the penguins. I think that was actually the uh, south polar skuas. And the other ones live on other islands and eat other stuff because they can't get the prime territory. So this is an angry skua. He's got a band. Um, or she. Uh, that they're also being studied down there. Uh, so one of the places that we liked to go, one of the islands we liked to visit a lot was called Old Palmer Island. It's also known as Amsler Island now. And there were all these skuas living there that didn't have territory near the penguins. And they were all nesting on this island. And to get to anywhere interesting on the island, you had to pass through their territory. And what would happen is they'd be squawking at you, and then they'd dive bomb at your head. And there were all these stories of uh, people whose hats had been stolen, or people who had almost been knocked out by them. So almost every other day, we would go to this island, because it had really great stuff to record and draw and photograph. And, and we'd always have to go through this like, dive bombing ritual with these birds. So I just wanted to play you the sound of, of that. <laughs> It was hard to get good recordings of the skuas because I'd be like, oh shit, you know. <laughs> have to protect my head, run away in the middle of it. But, so they give you this warning call like, you're in my territory. You're too close to my nest. I'm like, where can I go? It's like, no, where's the place you can walk? <laughs> Joker. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
text in this recording is that a, a gull flies by and the skuas are trying to keep the gull off. said that one actually hit her in the head really hard and almost knocked her over once. Uh, so sometimes I, I start to feel like these regulations about where you're not supposed to go are more like to protect us than to protect the bells to protect the birds. But like there was a place that was on the edge of the line and I had to cross it to, to go where I wanted to go and, and I was just getting dive bombed constantly. I wanted like a construction hat. I mean, it was so dangerous. I was like, I'm never coming back here. <laughs> I'm never coming close to the line again. Get <laughs> <laughs> it. Um, so skuas, they would attack us a lot. Um, another, another fun sound um, is uh, the Antarctic fur seals. So there are a lot of different kinds of seals that we saw in Antarctica. Um, and the fur seals, they're, they're so cute. They look like little puppy dogs. Um, but apparently they're very aggressive. And so um, we were warned, you know, do not approach them. They will charge you. They will bite you. They can run faster than you. Um, <laughs> like, okay, all right. So one day we landed at Old Palmer and we wanted to go to the other side of the island and there's this fur seal no, like how, how do we get around here? And it looked so cute. <laughs> um, and what happened is I pulled out my tape recorder and I, I didn't want to get closer to because I was terrified it was going to bite me, you know? Um, so I, I made these recordings of it and what's, what's kind of funny is that this animal that actually can be really ferocious, the sound it makes when it's upset is not what you would think. Um, it's this sort of whimpering sound. <laughs> and I'll play it for you. Jeez. He's 
like, I'm really upset that you're too close to me <laughs> and you're on my island. <laughs> Did you know it was going to sound like that? sound that it was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, that was the kind of more get out Yeah, of that's more like a warning call, I guess. Yeah. But the whimpering, yeah. I was not expecting this whimpering kind of sound. How, how close were you for that recording? I was maybe, I mean, I definitely was too close because you were sounds, but then it was interesting, right? Yeah. I was probably about 25 feet away, maybe. It's kind of, and he definitely could have fit me. <laughs> it was risky. Do you have a picture of him? I do. I'm going to show you right oh, now. Excuse me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I tried to coordinate this. So I'm sorry, sorry, the sorry, pictures sorry, and sorry, the shot. <laughs> no, it's nice that you do the audio first, because then Oops, you yeah. probably just pick the audio picture. Oh, all right. So here you So he was kind of, he'd lie down and then he'd stand up and he'd go, and he'd be like, I'm trying to sleep. Oh, you're still here. Whimper, whimper, whimper. Um, and here's an, another, on a different day, here's another first. And they can use their front flippers and their back um, flippers as legs. So if you see them move, it's like a small dog moving, and they're very fast. And they can climb steep rocks, too. So that was the whimpering guy. So the reason we always wanted to cross, I always wanted to cross um, Old Palmer Island was to get to where the elephant seals were napping, because for some reason I decided they were my favorite seals and I got really kind of obsessed with trying to record them. Um, so these are actually a different kind of elephant seal than we have up here in California. These are southern <coughs> elephant seals, and they're not nearly as aggressive as the ones up here are. So you could actually get very close to these guys, and they'd just kind of be like, what are you doing? Oh, all right, whatever, I'm going back to sleep. Um, so what happened one of my first days in Antarctica out in the boat is I heard these elephant seals making these crazy howling noises in the distance. I whipped out my recorder and they stopped. You know, I'm like, oh, I gotta get that sound. Okay, I have like three and a half more weeks, I can probably get it. And so I would always go and try to find these guys. But every time I went over there, they'd just be asleep. Because apparently they're nocturnal, which took me a while to figure out. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think about that. <laughs> so every day I'd be, like, I'd be like, let's go to Old Palmer again. I want to try to get the elephant seals. And they'd be like, <laughs> um, Finally, one night I, I decided what I needed to do was to camp out on the island so that maybe I could get these sounds, and who knows what else would happen. So I camped out um, on Old Palmer, and actually didn't really sleep, because the elephant seals were so loud, and <laughs> they went like all night long, and not just in one area, but like in several different areas on the island, and you could hear them like echoing in the distance. So I wanted to play you, oh, I want to give you a couple more pictures of the elephant seals. So they're very cute. They're kind of <laughs> stinky, though. <laughs> they have these big eyes. And if they're upset with you, they'll open their mouth, but they didn't make a sound. They just feel like they show you their teeth. Like, watch out. I'm you're disturbing me. Anyway, and so I was told that these are all young males that the females had left for the season and the big 
guys with the huge noses who have all the harems are gone, and these are sort of like the adolescent males, so they're actually smaller than the biggest ones. What are the, uh, the red splotches around there? That's actually seaweed. Oh, it's seaweed? Yeah. And here's another shot of the same. It's got food on his face. <laughs> no, they eat, um, they eat meat. They eat squid, mostly. Squid and fish. So it's just salad there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a salad, yeah. Uh, and elephant seals, amazingly, can dive in cr- really, really deep. I forget, it's like 3,000 feet or something. It's really deep. They're incredible swimmers. On land, they're these big, lumpy, awkward, cute things. Um, but in the water, they're just incredible. Um, so I'm going to play you some sounds of the elephant seals at night. And what happened was that I got to the island, they dropped me off. I stayed there alone overnight. I was very excited. Mm. had a whole island to myself in Antarctica <laughs> for one night. Um, and I immediately was like, oh, I'm going to go see the elephant seals. Uh, and I got partway to where I normally went to see the seals and somewhere else I heard them in the distance. I was like, oh, I've got to go over there. And what they were doing is they had paired off and they were males, right? And so they're, they're sparring with each other. So they're rearing up in the water in pairs and like fighting. And then this is what uh, that sounds like. Wait, you say nocturnal, but it didn't really actually get dark, did it? It got kind of dark okay. for a few hours. Okay. Like at midnight, I could still see it was like twilight. Okay. I, I didn't need a headlamp. It's going to begin. hours of this um, <laughs> because it, I just can't stop recording I, it was getting dark, I was getting hypothermic I was like you have to go to the tent climb in the sleeping bag I was like, this sounds so cool <laughs> I'm going to play one more of the elephant seals um, this is in a different location this is in a protective a protected uh, cove on, on the island and so um, there's a really nice natural reverb there the cove is lined with a uh, walls of ice from a remnant of the glacier that was left and was melting. And I'm really pretty close to these guys and it's very still and calm and it's it's pretty pretty cool. Um, you can hear them as they go underwater kind of making sounds and um, 
once in a while, not sure if it's on this track or not, the sounds would be reflected underwater and they would hit the ice, which was right next to me, and I'd hear these gurgling sounds coming up by my side by the ice, and I thought it was the glacier, but eventually I realized it was the elephant seal sound coming, I think it was coming underwater and being reflected up because it wasn't the glacier. weren't so much fighting as they were just kind of playing in the water. They were like, oh, it's such a balmy night. It's really still. And they just pop their heads up and they go under. And it almost seemed like they were playing with their voices. Um, it was just it was really pretty cool. Um, so I realized I've been showing you a lot of beautiful sunny pictures. Um, but it was not always like that. <coughs> 
a lot of times it was like this. <laughs> um, anytime the winds were stronger than um, 20 knots, you were not allowed to go out in a boat, which kind of meant you were <coughs> kind of grounded. You could walk around. Um, usually it was hard to record if the wind was that strong anyway, unless you wanted to record the wind. So I did record the wind, of course. Um, I recorded the wind going through these towers, the lines um, holding up these towers, because it was really, really howling. <coughs> it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, so a, a short sample of Antarctic wind. louder than that in real life. <laughs> um, and then imagine that going on for like, you know, two, three days. Uh, okay, so... Uh, sure, what, what's the perspective of that sound? Where, where are you listening from? I was actually at the base of the... Outside. outside. I was outside. I tried to kind of tuck underneath these rocks near the base of the tower, um, kind of where one of the support lines came down. So I was trying to find a place that I could get the mic sheltered from the wind to get the wind recorded. It was very difficult. <laughs> was that with an Omni? No, actually, I'm not sure which one that recording was with. I, I, tried, I did record the wind with my Sennheisers, and then I also, it was almost easier to get it with the little handheld recorder because it was easier to shelter that mm -hmm. under my coat or something. What did you record the, the last, the, the, the seals? Last, yeah. um, that was with the Sennheiser MKH 40 oh. and a 30 and the sound devices. Um, yeah, so I did a lot of playing with hydrophones I couldn't afford the super expensive ones, so I, I used these Aquarian audio ones, which were still pretty fun. They looked like that. And I would just toss them overboard the Zodiac, see what was in, going on underneath. Um, I didn't get any cool whale sounds or underwater seals, uh, but I got a lot of ice. <laughs> and the, ice <laughs> the ice was pretty, I thought the ice was pretty interesting, too. Um, and at first I thought, oh, I'll need a boom pole or something, and, and I, I just decided it worked fine to throw them on the edge, over the edge, and tie them off to the boat, because the boat was all rubber, and it didn't seem to transmit sounds from us that much. Um, uh, all right.
I'll, sh I'll show you the leopard seals and then we'll listen to some other sounds. So we saw leopard seals all the time, almost every day when we went out in the boat. They're kind of the top predator in the area. They eat the uh, penguins and they could potentially eat you, although there are no documented cases of that happening. Um, they have a lot of teeth, <laughs> <laughs> and they would get kind of curious about us. I can't even believe he was on. <laughs> anyway, so we're like, you know, we're looking at the leopard seal. The leopard seal's looking at us, and then it dives off and like comes over to see what we are. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, oh, start the motor. She's like, oh, I just admit it. I'm like, it's coming straight towards us. <laughs> um, what we had been told is that, that the leopard seals in past years had actually gotten up into the boats in the parking lot and taken naps in them. So we knew they could get in the boats. Furthermore, they had to put like a special thing on the ends of the... Um, the ends of the boats, because the seals would come and chew through them and deflate the inflatable tubes that keep the boat afloat. So, you know, it was kind of potentially dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't get any sounds from them. <laughs> you have any comment before you eat us? <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard other people, I heard a recording, I think it was Doug Quinn that got a recording of him one sleeping, or maybe it was somebody else, but um, I don't know that I would go up to a sleeping leopard seal and try to record it. <laughs> maybe with a parabolic dish or something. But How, they look big, how big are they? Big. So um, one actually swam underneath our boat one day, and you could see it on either side of the boat. Wow. So it was maybe 12 feet long or something. It was big, big, wow. very big. And especially when it's right underneath you, you're like, um, <laughs> hmm. Uh, so I wanted to play you a couple underwater ice sounds. Oops. But I need to be in the correct program. <coughs> so, uh, the first recording is uh, very detailed up close in shallow water. Um, so, just a couple of pieces of ice, and I was getting, you know, the mic was like right next to it, inches away from it, to get the details of the ice melting.
So the clunking sounds that you hear in that are not the mic banging against something, which I thought they were at first, but it's actually the ice hitting these rocks and hitting other pieces of ice, um, sort of knocking into it. And the other underwater ice sound is in the middle of a field of a lot of floating brash ice, and this is at the a depth of about 50 feet. Um, so you get a really different perspective. You can hear a lot farther away, and there's just a lot more going on. It's just different. underwater. It's interesting because it, there'd be some sound above water, but it wouldn't be anywhere near, like, throw these things overboard. You'd be like, oh my god, what's going on down there? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, let's see, so I just have a couple more sounds to play for you. Um, I want to play for you the giant petrel. Um, which is one of the other birds that that uh, researchers are studying in the area. So they go around and they weigh the chicks um, every other day or something to see how fast they're growing. And um, they they also mark down uh, is is the which parent is manning the nest. Both adults take turns. Uh, so there's a little guy there. Um, there's another nest. And here's my friend Tana weighing one of the chicks. So they take them out and they put them in a bag and they weigh them and then they set them back. And <laughs> if they have to work with the, with the adult, they, they take the baby and they um, keep him warm while they're working with the adult and they put him back. <laughs> Do they flush the parrot off the nest, or do they wait till it? Uh, they can, they can just lift the parrot out. Oh. They can go right up to them and lift them out. <laughs> Sometimes they'll get kind of squawked at. Um, and if you need to work with a chick, you can stick an egg underneath, like a fake egg, a dummy egg, and they'll <laughs> fall for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens a few times. It's really interesting. Um, so I went out with the birders one day, and 
I was actually helping them write down all the information of the measurements they made. But in between, I had my pocket recorder, and I was like, I'm just <laughs> okay, how long was that again? <laughs> um, so it's a really short recording. So first you can hear the adult bird who's upset that we're taking the chicken. And then, uh, and then there's a, it's actually from a different track, but a little the chick making sounds. sounds I heard was I uh, went out onto the glacier and we went in the words of Una crevassing which is when artists go and um, are lowered into a crevasse to record sounds or make pictures and stuff um, so we went out onto the Mar Ice Piedmont blah, past the line of black flags <laughs> and we were roped up and we went with uh, some members of the Glacier Search and Rescue Team who helped us do this. Out into no man's land, looking for a crevasse that seemed like a good crevasse to get lowered into. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Una, who's never been you know, climbing or mountaining before. <laughs> She's just totally having a blast. Um, and there's me, it was really, it was really wet. I, did not anticipate how wet it would be in the crevasse. I've been in crevasses before on mountaineering trips, but it wasn't as warm. It was summer, so everything was melting, the glacier was melting, and I hadn't thought about that until I got in there. It was like being poured, you know, it's like being in pouring rain. <laughs> I was like, whoa. So I came out, I was totally soaked. It was really difficult to um, do any kind of recording in there because it was like being in a rainstorm. I did not want to take the Sennheisers into that. <laughs> um, I tried some experiments with the hydrophones. I had some ideas about embedding them in the walls and playing the icicles. It totally failed because I didn't, I, I didn't have didn't have a good enough plan as to how to do that, and I didn't have a lot of time. And there's like four people on the surface waiting for me to get done. <laughs> Uh, so what I ended up doing is uh, just using the pocket recorder and just recording, like, I did record playing some icicles, like tapping them because they, they made pretty cool sounds. And then I got all destructive and I started knocking them down and then I told the people on top to knock stuff down and it made the most incredible sounds. But first, um, this is Una inside the crevasse. She's going to make drawings down there on waterproof paper. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And that's nice. one. The before picture. <laughs> close up of what it looks like inside there. That's really nice. Looking across at Una. We went down there at the same time once. It was, I mean, it's really treacherous, but it's also really beautiful. <laughs> it's such a beautiful landscape in there. You don't know how far it goes down, right? I could not see the bottom. <laughs> it narrowed. That's looking up, so that was like the looking up at the surface. And that's looking down. There's some snow bridges, but you can't really see the bottom. I mean, there's a bottom somewhere, and you can hear in the recordings of stuff falling that stuff eventually did stop. But so I want to play you the sound of knocking icicles and snow into the crevasse. <laughs> Which I suppose you could do in other places besides Antarctica, but we were there, so. <laughs> how wet it was. <laughs> it's <Wow>. really wet. <laughs> um, we decided it was okay to do that because they're a renewable resource. <laughs> uh, all right, just a couple more pictures and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the stuff I brought back. This is um, the Gould came back after a month and we had to leave. It was very sad. Um, <coughs> This is uh, at sunrise on the day we I'm were sorry, what's leaving. What's the flag on the right? The flag on the right. I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. Sometimes when ships were coming to visit from other countries, they, they would put the flag of that country. But I, I can't identify that one. Were there a lot of visitors from other countries? Uh, there were a fair number of, of visitors. Um, it, Palmer Station's kind of right on the, the tourist route um, for cruise ships and, and smaller, like, National Geographic tours. We also had a couple of small, like, personal yachts that came through with, like, a four-person crew. <laughs> that people had sailed across the Drake on a, not a very big <laughs> ship. Um, so, yeah, tourism, it has its, a lot of bad points. Um, but if you're on the station, the good point with uh, 
a good aspect of tourists is that they would bring in fresh food for us. And our chef was incredibly resourceful, and she would work out these deals with people. Like, she'd say, okay, so you're going on board the cruise ship, right? Uh, take these t-shirts, and don't return until you come back with, like, fresh milk and eggs. And, like, uh, but she would work deals out with people in advance. If she knew they were coming down, hey, can you bring us, you know, we need apples and potatoes oh, and whatever. Anyway, so this is uh, all our friends from the station getting ready to jump, to plunge as, as we leave. Did you do it? They did, yeah, about 15 people. But you, you never did in your Oh, I didn't do it, no. I, I went swimming in, a, in an immersion suit, but it was pretty warm. <laughs> I didn't do the plunge. And then there's just a couple of shots um, on our way back. Uh, we had an incredibly beautiful day uh, sailing out of Antarctica, so, through the Gerlach Strait. It was wow. totally calm. Um, half of the people on board were asleep because it was so. It was, we left at like six a.m. Everyone had been up all night partying. And we were like, "There's no way we're staying awake. We're staying awake. We're going to see this." <laughs> People who slept totally missed out. <laughs> I mean, I have like 300 photos like this. From I was just like, it was so still in there. And we saw a lot of the bigger icebergs. And then we went back across the Drake. And it was very calm. I didn't take any seasickness medicine. I mean, it was like that. It was unbelievable. <laughs> we were just incredibly lucky. That was that. Those were our seas. And then on our last night on board the ship, wow. double rainbow across the lake. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the perfect ending. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's it for the pictures. Cheryl, are you going to mention what your reco recording equipment was and all? Uh, yeah, so um, I primarily use the Sennheiser MKH 40 and 30 as an MS stereo pair. Yeah. Um, and then a sound, design, a sound device is similar to just like the best equipment I could afford. What was this pocket recorder? Was that the pocket recorder was an Edderall um, HR. 09 yeah. HR or whatever. It's really not bad. If you gotta just whip it out in a crevasse, <laughs> so I was really impressed. <laughs> I also uh, brought a parabolic setup, but it was only mono, and I decided I don't really like recording in mono, so I almost never used it. So the MS, you did all of the um, matrixing like when you got back or whatever? Well, uh, the field recorder lets you monitor, oh, and um, it cool. decodes it for monitoring. Oh, how handy. Yeah. So if I did it again, I think I would like a stereo parabolic setup as well. And uh, maybe some more fancy uh, hydrophones. But I didn't have the budget for that. So. Next time you're in Antarctica. Next time I go to Antarctica, I'll try to rob a bank or something. What was that photo here? What was what? The photo. 
Oh, um, I, I have a cannon something or other. It's like the top of the line point and shoot. So I learned some of the manual settings, but it's not a digital SR. SR. But it was pretty good, huh? Yeah, it was really interesting. <laughs> so quickly, because it's getting late, let's show you. Is this guys okay? Yeah. Um, I brought some stuff back from Antarctica to build instruments with. Legally. Legally. <laughs> I had to get two sets of permits, one to export it from Antarctica and one to import it into the U.S. I'm sorry, who gives those permits? Uh, some guy. The, the NSF <laughs> okay. to, to take stuff from Antarctica and to import, um, who was it? It was like... USDA. Yes, USDA, yeah. Oh, okay, thank it's you. USDA, you know. <laughs> Um, so what I brought back is I brought back penguin bones, I brought rocks, and I brought limpet shells because I was very excited about the limpet shells because um, they sound really great. Nobody else at the station cared about limpet shells. And the first time I found a couple, I was like, I, I heard like, oh, there's potential here. And I came running back to the station, I'm like, look what I found, <laughs> so great. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> um, you see these by the thousand, and this is what the kelp gulls eat there. They, they pick the limpets off the EM hole, and then they poop out the shells, and you find the shells all stacked up in little like stacks like this, especially around their nests. But when I first found them in the backyard, I just found like three, and I was like, oh, wow, they're so valuable. <laughs> um, so I like the shells because they each have a different pitch, and they also kind of sound like the ice. And then something I learned about limpets after I returned is that the limpets in Antarctica live much longer and grow much slower than the ones up here. So limpets in Antarctica are often like, can be 100 years old, or possibly more. So some of these big shells, they're definitely older than me. I have no idea exactly how old they are, but they're, they're old. Um, and they make great sounds, so I, I kind of built this instrument to mount them in such a way that I could play them. So these all have different pitches. Hmm. Um, and what I discovered is that you can, you can bow. <laughs> so I'm working nice. on some pieces that use the limpet shell instrument, and it has a lot of potential, like it's very beautiful. And it's just these shells that nobody else cared about at the station. Mm. <laughs> um, also, uh, so I also have a lot of penguin bones. Um, one of the first things that I made when I came back was with uh, the deli vertebrae. I just made a little mobile, um, which also sounds like ice. Maybe if you want to just pass it around carefully, it's, it's better like up in person. Mm. Mm. It's very delicate. Mm -hmm. so. 
I just was amazed at how many things sound like ice. I mean, the rocks down there sound like ice, the shells sound like ice, the bones kind of so can also sound like ice. But I'm going to build something with these. I just don't know what it. Um, and I have a lot more at home. And I also have the penguin, some penguin nesting stones from Torgerson Island. And you can see that they have this uh, worn patina. Or it's not patina, it's not the right word. But they're worn and polished um, from being used for hundreds of years by the penguins for nesting. <laughs> and they'll fight over the stones. They'll steal them from each other. Um, I took these from a, an area that used to have a little colony on it, and, and there's there's nothing left. So they're from a dead colony. They still smell. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, they're they're really they're really resonant. So when you hear the penguins walking around on the island, you'd hear this like tink 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 tink. tink. Turn that recording. It's, it's not the greatest recording. I tried. <laughs> um, so I have a few of these that I've been working with. Yeah, they have a very sharp, bright sound. Yeah. Um, and then we built this thing um, for, I was making a piece about wind. So one of my pieces is called Greater Than 20 Knots, which was the... Uh, the line ab above which we're not allowed to go boating. So uh, I was trying to figure out a wind instrument. And we just took these bones and put a, a hydrophone on them because it has really great bass. And then you can bow them. You turn it up. Hydrophone on them. Yeah, I've got a. It's not easy to see from back there. I have a, hy a hydrophone taped on as a contact mic. Oh. Makes very good windy sounds. Sounds breathy. Yeah. Breathy's good. And then we discovered, um, my performers and I, that if you put a string on here, it's pretty cool too. <laughs> Usually this is um, drilled into a board. So. Anyway, very good wind sounds with that. <laughs> Um, and the last little instrument I brought today is another penguin bone, which is actually at the base of the spine. And we made this into a wind instrument as well. So what uh, my performer Anne was doing is she's actually blowing on it. And she's like, just putting this penguin bone like right up against your lips, no problem. <laughs> and, uh, I'm a little more shy about that, but let's see if I can get this in. She had this great whistling sound from blowing through the middle of the spinal column. No, I can't do it. She has to do it. 
Anyway, um, you can also play that with the string, which is kind of nice. Or you can go it in different places. Again, just getting a lot of airy, breathy, windy sounds. sounds, a lot of wind sounds. Um, so I have a couple pieces that, that use those. Um, and I have one piece that's actually been recorded officially that if you guys don't mind. Six minute, it's a six minute piece. It's very relaxing. <laughs> Alright. I'm going to play it for you. It's called Lullaby for E-Seals, which is elephant seals. And it, it, it has, it's basically, it's a very simple piece. It's, it's this recording of um, the elephant seals sleeping, which is how I usually encountered them. Um, and, and then I just added very, very little to that. Um, I'm actually playing some kelp flutes, so dried pieces of kelp, which are from here, not from Antarctica. And then we also played um, some limpet shells and, and a rock. And if you want to see the score, it's in here. It's the last one. It's, it's sort of very elaborately scored out. Wow. It took me a long time.
So actually, um, that is a kelp flute, which oh. is a piece of dried kelp, bull kelp, from here. Oh um, and I just carved a hole in it, and I'm playing it like a flute. It oh. kind of sounds a lot like a shakuhachi. Oh. Yeah, that's um, my sound. This is a very airy, breathy sound. So it wasn't an elephant seal snoring. <laughs> there were elephant seals snoring yeah, in there, definitely, okay. yeah. That was the more guttural sound, I guess, Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Almost sounded like a, like a foghorn. Yeah. Yeah, I have a really long one. It's like this. It curves around. It looks really cool. As it has this wonderful bass tone to it. It's very quiet. Okay. All right, that's all I have, unless you have questions. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, yes. 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 Yes.
product. Product. <laughs> product. Some of the sounds you heard today are on here, and other ones that I didn't play, because I tried to play stuff that wasn't available on the CD as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So these are all just field recordings, no compositions. Those will be coming out probably at the end of 2010, because I'm still writing them, and um, they're not done yet. <laughs> Cheryl, what are the, uh, on that limpet uh, instrument? Yeah. What are the bones that are? These are wood, driftwood. driftwood. From, everything's from Antarctica, right? No, the driftwood's from here. There's not a lot of driftwood in Antarctica. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about the, where you got the driftwood in there. No, I got it from here. I, I thought about what I could use to mount these, and I didn't have any Antarctic materials I could use to mount them, except the penguin bones, and that was kind of a waste, so I needed some kind of armature, and this seemed like it would... It's also from the ocean. It may have drifted it, past Antarctica. The best I could come up with, uh, you know, the other ideas were like, use metal, well that's even more foreign, you know. So are they glued on, on the prongs of the driftwood, the limpets, are they glued? No, you can take them out. That's okay, it's sort of a force fit, right? Yeah, Friction there's, fit. there's screws here that uh, clamp it, clamp it on. I, I kind of, I didn't want to drill a hole through the limpets, because when am I going to go back to Antarctica and get more, you know? So I didn't want to damage them. It's like, how can I build the instrument and not damage them? It's a great looking piece. Yeah, it's, it's aesthetically very cool. Yeah, to look at. yeah I, I try to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you.